0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Equipped Agronomy Podcast.
1: What episode? It doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) We're in the episode that we're in right now. (laughs) It's the second inaugural episode. Second inaugural? Okay, this will be the second inaugural episode of Equipped Agronomy Podcast, where we bridge the gap between seeding equipment and agronomy. This is brought to you by Borgo Industries, based out of St. Bruce, Saskatchewan, Canada. Fantastic. So today... Uh, we've got myself. My name is Curtis DeGoyer. I work as an agronomist here at Borgo Industries. Uh, along with me is the other agronomist, Jeff Strukoff, also at Borgo Industries. The farm manager, Jeff Strukoff. I think he might just be the the you know the special guest every single episode. Okay. Yeah. the well, special guest Jeff Strukoff. There you go. So today on this episode, we want to talk a little bit about phosphorus. We're going to talk about phosphorus. We're going to talk about splitting phosphorus and by splitting phosphorus i mean between two different places within you know within the seed drill and so this is going to be in the seed row and in the mid-row bander so we're going to get into you know why we did this uh, and then obviously the the results and and where this could be useful for you know either on your farm or you know if you're a consultant you know where you can advise others in order to get down the, the nutrients that you need all about placement here and so the reason for this trial, for this us looking into this whole scenario of, of split phosphorus, so I'll lay out a little bit of the story of what was going on. Uh, we've got you know kind of our bread and butter drill is a single knife, three-quarter inch tip, 10-inch spacing, 10 or 12, but 10-inch spacing with, you know, and then we've got these mid-row banders, one bander for every two openers. So they're you know on 10-inch space, they're five inches away. Uh, 12 inches or 6 inches away and how do we get down enough phosphorus to supply a crop of let's say 60 bushel canola which is very doable more than that in a lot of places you know we're removing about 55 pounds of p205 right and so if we want to replace that our guy's putting in you know 55 pounds of actual p205 into the seed row and you you no, know, that answer is no, right? Kind of safe rates have always been 25, you know, up into 30 pounds, P205 into the roll, right?
1: Yeah, that's a little high.
0: That's but high. Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of where we've been at. And that's what mm-hmm. we've been doing for a lot of years. We've been replacing 25 out of 50 pounds of going in. So if you do the math on that, uh, we're not putting it on enough, right? But it was mm-hmm. like, well, where else do we put this in this scenario, you know, of our most common configuration? Mm-hmm. Got that question quite a bit. And so you know back in 2015, sixteen, and seventeen, we decided we're, we're going to do we're going to do some trials with this. We've heard of some guys doing this split between the seed row and the mid row, and we wanted to see if it actually worked really and yeah. to be able to recommend it and
1: If I could cut you off just for one second, I think it's important Eric, if you go back in history and and a little bit even further to to explain how we got to the point where we're at right now. Um, Back in the early 90s when direct seeding was actually just taking off, Uh, it was kind of a novel idea in Saskatchewan. And people were uh, renovating existing equipment, trying to turn it into uh, a direct seeding unit. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but this was a huge liquid fertilizer area around here because you could actually take any drill that you had that was a single shoot type drill, weld a three quarter inch tube on the back of it and heat it up with a torch whack it with a hammer and knock it off to the side you could actually pump liquid down and kind of go on the side of the furrow and not have it all go down into the into the seed row and that was kind of how guys started out uh, direct seeding Uh, but you were always limited on how much phosphate you could actually put down in the seed row So like you had alluded to, we're taking out in the neighborhood of 55 pounds and we're putting the maximum seed placed amount, which is, you know, in that 20 pound neighborhood, but we're never actually fertilizing up to replacement. So as time goes on from the the 90s going to the 2000s, all of a sudden guys start seeing the soil test levels go from, you know, 25 parts per million all the way down to, well, some of ours are seven to nine parts per million. Single digit PPM. So we... You know we were very successful in mining the soil out of you know a lot of nutrients and it was all based on the fact that we couldn't replace what we were taking out so you know what was it 90 94 95 when midrow banders came out mm. you know guys you know that was all about nitrogen that had nothing to do with, with phosphate it was all mm-hmm. about nitrogen how do you get everything down all in one pass safely without killing the seed well that's where banders really kind of took off and you know now You know we're exploring different things, like you said, and we're trying to better utilize another uh, stream of fertilizer to to kind of get those levels up over and above. So you could safely place what you want in the seed row, but then you can safely place a bunch more in that mid row. So that kind of where this trial kind of kind of took off, and it's actually gone further now too. So
0: yeah, no, and you know you bring up a good point. Soil test levels currently. saskatchewan alberta what is it 80 percent of the soils are technically yeah. deficient yeah deficient meaning you know it's not so much a, a hard number but i think in that any of that range is it below 10 parts per million would you say is deficient is that what it's
1: uh yeah anything under 12 parts per 12, million yeah.
0: somewhere around there it doesn't matter yeah. if you're one two four five six, it doesn't matter yeah. the exact number it's just yeah. like a range right if you're below yeah. that you're deficient if you're Whatever, we'll call it 12, 12 to, what, 20 or so? Yep. You're good. Mm-hmm. Good. Anything above that, you're really good. You're really good. Yeah. Uh, excess, even. Yeah. You can draw it down, which is money saving in some years for sure. Uh, Manitoba's a little different. We're talking about Western provinces here. Manitoba... Obviously, it's got some areas that are a little bit higher in, in Foss, right? And that comes a lot too. Well, you're a Manitoba guy, <laughs> originally. Yeah. Originally, Manitoba. I'm, I've actually
1: successfully lived in Saskatchewan longer than I lived in Manitoba at okay. this point. So, okay, you're
0: I, I can, you're formerly like, of Manitoba. Yes, you can I can officially say that.
1: I am an official Saskatchewan resident.
0: Yeah. Well, I, yeah. they've they've got some levels. that are Just a bit for the higher.
1: record, I've I, I'm I don't, we're gonna start a little controversy right off the bat here, but I've always been a Ryder fan. Just for the record, how about this year? Uh, you know what? I didn't even watch a game this year. Yeah, <laughs> I,
0: know I, I, I couldn't was. even be bothered to watch a game this yeah, year. Yeah, it was, it was tough. It yeah. was tough to be a Ryder fan, that's for sure. Um, no, but levels in Manitoba, a little bit higher. A little bit higher. A lot of, uh, what, dairy. Um, a lot of manure, though, right? Chicken, was that? Is that fair to say? Or why are their levels higher?
1: They're just <laughs> they got better soil. Nice, blocked, yeah. deep. Yeah. Yeah, Red River. It's better in Manitoba.
0: Yeah. um soil test levels so the other thing with I uh so we got low levels already based on you know some of what we've talked about taking off more than what we've than we were putting on um but the other thing with phosphorus and it's a key just the key point in this whole discussion is it doesn't move very far in the soil right we're, we can't just blast it on what we can. Um, not, not it though. Well yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think sometimes what happens, you blast it on broadcasting it, it can get into runoff, and that's caused some issues mm-hmm. uh, in some water ways. And you know so it, that's an important part of this story with phosphorus. so we're we're low, uh, it doesn't move very far in the soil, and you know we can we can only put so much in the seed row then to be safe, right? We, we want it close to the seed row. Because it doesn't move far, and we want that pop-up effect. So we want it close, but yet we can kill our crop too, and then you lose that pop-up effect. So this is the balancing act, and this is where coming all back to, okay, how do we get down more safely, right? So let's put in, we, we, so we did this trial where we did, okay, zero FOS. We put no FOS. We have this control. Uh, always good to have a control. Uh, no phosphorus at all, and then we said, okay, we're going to do replacement rates on 60-bushel canola crop. Okay, so we're going to put in 55 pounds, P2O5. Uh, in this case, form uh, 1152, monomonium phosphate. Uh, so we're going to put in, what is that, 90 is that 96 pounds of 1152? Yep. And so how do we get this in there? Okay, well, we're going to pile it all in the seed row, see what happens. Are we going to totally kill this crop or not? Okay, then we're going to put that all of that over into the mid-row bander. So five inches away, which is a? You know, a bit of a no-no there where it's not close to the seed. You got surrounded by a bunch of nitrogen, which we can talk about a little bit more. But, you know, not easily accessible, especially early on. And and I would say this treatment, when we first got into it, you know, the thought there was that, hey, we're going to put this on in this year because we're going over anyway. Uh, it's not going to be accessible to the crop this year, but we're building for next year. Once phosphorus is in the soil as a fertilizer, it's not moving, right? Mm. It's It's getting tied up to articles it it doesn't flow in water in soil in soil water Mm -hmm. uh it it stays put so we can put it in it's going to be there for next year it's not going anywhere but at least hey we're we're replacing what we're removing this whole concept of replacement amounts so that was the thought going into it okay what's going to happen the year after and then we had the the fourth treatment in this was the the split so 15 pounds of actual p205 going in the seed row with canola and the rest out in the in the mid row bander Right. And I should specify this trial. We did do it in canola and wheat. We're gonna. Well, we'll talk about canola first, though. We we'll yeah. talk about canola first with it uh, in this specific trial. Specific. Um, so what happened? What happened? We did this for three years: 2015, 16, and seventeen. Uh, you know, the one thing that we we would see the control sucked. It was we would be down. Oh, I, you know, five nine bushels. You know, kind of range between those three years. But there's a response to phosphorus.
1: Yeah. Cool. And that's one of the benefits of having soil health that's completely low. depleted and low. We have you've low
0: phosphorus.
1: Yeah. You, yes. you, you've got a very high probability of getting a phosphorus response in our soil here.
0: Our soil being great wooded, kind of a sandy loam, uh, you know, low in phosphorus and potash. You know, high, single high
1: in calcium, high in magnesium. Um, yeah.
0: Yep. And we're low. So the response to phosphorus we got.
1: Mm.
0: I would say the most... The, the, the thing that really said, oh, this is pretty cool, though, in and, and this trial, was that all that FOS we put in the mid-row, every single year we did it, we saw
1: a bump in yield. Impossible. Can't, Can't really Too far. You know, that's silly. That's five inches from the seed. There is absolutely no way you go to FOS response. And we
0: did. Every single year. It ranged. Some years we got more than others, right? But on average, on those three years, we had a five bushel, five bushel yield,
1: yeah i think it was the the most the the most important thing that that actually showed was that we were actually accessing phosphate in a mid-row band exactly visually so, visually you could see the difference
0: right they started off yeah. the same so the control and that 55 pounds in the mid-row did the exact same thing they, they were just slower plants didn't have that pop-up effect right and you're like okay here it comes yeah. we have drone shots of this yeah and uh Later, later
1: going into flower, because it didn't have that pop up effect.
0: Didn't have that. Exactly. They looked exactly the same. But then that's when the magic happened. The change happened right around that flowering time, right? Yeah. And then it
1: flowered and flowered and kept flowering. It's like, hmm. What's going on there? Something's happened.
0: Visually, it's happening. And when it came through to, you know, when we rolled the combines through, the combine with the Way Wagon replicated Mm -hmm. three times, we saw, hey, there's actually a, a response here. And okay. This is good. And you know, to that point too, when did that get taken up? Right? When does canola need nutrients? Right? Not early, early on. Well, I need some. It but like bit, yeah. the bulk of it doesn't happen until, you know, basically when it's elongating. Yep. As a cereal. Sorry, canola when it's bolting. Bolting, yeah. And then going into flour. That's when the majority of the nutrients are needed. So all of a sudden it's got this big supply
1: of phosphorus when it needs it. So okay. I think the interesting thing, too, that happened in that trial was the difference between putting 55 pounds in the seed row and putting 55 pounds in the mid-row and analyzing uh, plant counts between those two. Absolutely. And seeing how many plants we actually killed off by putting too much FOSS in the in the seed row.
0: Which was also a little bit surprising. So yeah. the average, so we went from 50 bushel on our canola, the control, bumped it up to 55. And then when we put all that 55 pounds into the seed row, we actually bumped it up to 59 bushels, 59 bushels per acre on that. So we got another little bit out of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, that's pretty interesting. We got that pop-up that obviously helped in those three years. Uh, but you're right. The plant stands went from seven and we're putting on 10 seeds. They went from seven down to five, mm. right? Which actually the crop did okay, I would say, on an average. Oh, yeah. No all that in the seed row and you know so i think some years you can get away with it and that's what showed up in those three years there were some years where it was like a huge spread in plant stands we dropped it from seven down to like three three yeah. and in some years a little bit more wet years right it could buffer that out a little bit we had you know hardly any loss and so when you average it all out it did drop it down a you know two two plants mm. right 20 percent, which isn't nothing but uh did it totally kill off the crop? No. Still got a good yield of it? Absolutely. What happened though? Maturity. Maturity goes longer as soon
1: as... You, you remember grow. that one year we actually tried to kill the canola? And we actually put 200 pounds of actual pea down? Yeah. 400 pounds, of product in the seed row? Still couldn't kill it.
0: Yeah, we still got a canola crop. And I, yeah. if I...
1: Seeded at five right. pounds, I think we killed four pounds. We were left with a pound.
0: Though. Yeah. Yeah, there's still, I think... a like half a technically half a plant to one plant per square foot or something yeah it took forever but it yielded really <laughs> it was
1: two weeks two weeks later than everything really well, else
0: but it did quite well actually you know that's a good point too i mean plant stands yeah we can we can nuke off a bunch of canola but we know what canola does right it branches it fills an open space you get your yield out of your branches yeah it just takes longer so depending where you are geographically like up north up here, you know, we're a lot of times we're chasing frost off the ground, and then it's chasing us off in the in the fall. So, do we have the luxury of time? Some years, yes. Some years, no. But you don't know when. Mm-hmm. And and for anybody who is, you know, it's all about to, uh, managing risk. She's all a risk thing in farming. Yeah. yeah. So risk and well, controlling what you can. Yep. Right. And, and and that part of it, obviously. So if you if you're wanting to cut back seeding rates, well are you going to pump in a bunch of fertilizer into your seed row and kill more probably not ideally not yeah. ideally not right if you're okay with uh you know spending the, the cash on the seed and saying you know what that's what i'm going to do i'm going to pump it in the seed row i'm going to lose some plants but i got the yield that i wanted you know what okay okay you can do that too like that's that's not a problem at all um Some appears to be worse than others, though, and you'll affect the maturity, though. Yeah. Uh, Lower lower plants, than equals longer maturity. Uh, And then we got into the split where we had that 15p in the seed row with, you know, 40 out in the mid row. So we put a little bit in for that pop-up effect, which we saw, Mm -hmm. and then the rest out in the mid row. Uh, Did we lose a few plants still? One plant, technically, yes. Anytime you put anything in with the seed row, you know, canola seed, very small. Versus, you know, a prill of phosphorus. Even though phosphorus has got low salt index, and uh, yeah, there's a couple of different ones you can use. But in any case, when you have those two, if you're fighting for moisture, the phosphorus is going to win out against that little canola seed every single time. So, is there a chance to kill some canola anytime you put any phosphorus any fertilizer in the seed drill? Yes, but we ended up with about a 58 bushel, so 58 and a half technically. So, you know, when you're looking at that thinking, okay, well, now I can go ahead and put in some in the seed row, get my pop-up effect, but I can still put down enough, uh, you know, through the banders, right, to, to make sure I top it off. And, you know, that's what we found. And, you know, talking more and more over the years, different meetings, producer meetings, uh, more and more guys are doing this. So uh, it's something that not just we proved out, but it's something that obviously, yeah, is out there and, and guys are doing it. And, well, it's something that I would actually recommend. Absolutely. Split, splitting your FOSS.
1: It fos. is like when you're asking for the perfect recipe to utilize the drill that you have the best, that is something that, you know, the two of us actually agree on something for a change is that you should actually split your FOSS. You know, uh, you should actually elaborate on how low we've actually gone in the seed row and still achieved a pop up effect.
0: And you're right. Good point. We played around with eight pounds P205 in the seed row, saw an effect. We even went as low as four pounds P205. So, you know that's only eight pounds of product. Right? Yeah. Eight, t- eight pounds, eleven fifty-two, and we did see a little bit there as well. Um, that one I felt like the years we did it, it was kind of hit or miss. Yeah, that it wasn't. One. It
1: wasn't as consistent as yeah. ten to fifteen pounds. Actually. Yeah, so ten to fifteen. It seems, seems like soon as soon as as soon as you get ten to fifteen pounds, you consistently get that pop up effect. Yeah. Uh, you minimize the amount of plants that you're actually affecting by uh, increasing mortality. Yeah. And then by throwing the rest of it out into the mid-row, you're still capitalizing on that back-end yield potential too. So that's kind of what, I don't know, when I'm talking to guys at shows and stuff like that, I always recommend, you know, 10 to 15 pounds in the seed row, but the rest of the mid-row.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it seems to work good. And now some of the logistical issues you got to get through on this though, um, two tanks of FOSS. Right, you need two tanks in your cart with floss. Mm. Then you have you can't have one tank split into two airways. You got to have one in each. So that's a consideration. Uh, the other consideration is if you're already humming a bunch of fertilizer down your banders. Uh, oh, if we're going to put some more down it. Well, you got to make sure your your fans are
1: are sized accordingly. Yeah, uh, that would be another another thing to look out for. Sized accordingly and make sure that your tractor has enough flow to actually turn the fan at the right speed too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and those are the those are the you know equipment with the agronomy kind of you got to take that into consideration for sure. But mm-hmm. agronomically speaking, it's a pretty good practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it doable? Absolutely, because guys have been doing it for years now. <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> maybe maybe you with that, this is a good point to actually just leave our Foss conversation. We could actually take it up on our next podcast, and we could talk about uh, dual knife drills and foss placement with that and trimax and maybe a few other things we
0: got lots of foss content left to chat about but i think this is where we're going to end it on this
1: particular thing
0: right now so uh yeah let's tune into you know next episode here where we're you know chat again on the agronomics of equipment and uh yeah get you growing chat with you next time